Who are today's scribes and Pharisees? We know who they were in Jesus' day, a particular branch of the Jews that were devoted to study the law and were particularly observant in all of it, in all its details. But with time, this word Pharisee became a broader concept beyond the confines of that time and place. It came to describe a spiritual attitude of self-righteousness. A self-righteous person is someone who sees herself as someone in no need of mercy or redemption whatsoever. I'm fine. I'm good. Someone basically in a position to judge others and to point fingers and who compares herself with others and finds herself better. Jesus says, for example, when, when a Pharisee prays, if he prays at all, really, he would say something among these lines. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like that tax collector. Remember that's in Luke chapter 18. Usually self-righteous people align with the current of thought that we would call mainstream thought. Because it is very hard to be self-righteous if one does not enjoy the general esteem of society. To be self-righteous, we need a dose of self-esteem and a lot of acceptance from the rest. It's feed, it feeds, if you want, from that acceptance. So this is why I think in a Christian culture, we priests, for example, and Christians in general, we run the risk of being self-righteous. But in this day and age, we are far from running that risk. We no longer live in a time when the gospel in its fullness informs the culture. There is instead what we could call a religion of the world, a set of values that are rooted in the gospel, but they are put together in such a way that the result is a relativistic worldview. And that happens, I think, because they are arranged in such a way that there's no room for God anymore. They are, so to say, self-contained. A couple of weeks ago, I was walking around the neighborhood and praying the rosary in Tenley Town, and, and, I, and I saw one front yard, one house with a, with a front yard with many signs, you know, those signs that they put, people put in the front yard to, you know, to manifest their opinion. So I took the time to write them down. This is several houses, several different houses, no? In one house, there was one sign that, that it said, we believe that black lives matter, no human is illegal, love is love, women's rights are human rights, science is real, water is life, there was another sign that said, no matter where you are from, we are glad that you are our neighbor in three or four different languages. And I thought to myself as I was reading these signs, I could subscribe each one of them, of those declarations. I agree with which, each one of them, but something in the whole picture seemed wrong to me. Another house said, this house embraces diversity 
empowers women, believes in science, knows love is love, fights injustice, and welcomes immigrants. I was tempted to ring the bell because I'm an immigrant myself to see what happens. Again, as a Christian, I'm all for embracing diversity. We are a Catholic church and we have been diverse from the very beginning. In the very day of Pentecost, you had 14 or 15 languages right away. So in the, in the very first same day, if you want, of the church, people from different races and, and, and backgrounds. Empower women, of course. We believe from Genesis that God created human beings, male and female, with equal dignity. And if we haven't done that enough in the past, it's not because we were good Christians, but it was because we were bad Christians, basically. So our faith speaks about that, about that equal dignity as human beings, that God created them both. Science, of course. We believe in a logos, an intelligent mind that created the universe with so much intelligibility. We're not afraid of science, we love science. Of course, truth does not contradict the truth. Love is love, of course. Augustine says, love and do what you will. And he's echoing St. Paul when he says to the Galatians, for the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Galatians 5, and he's echoing Jesus, of course when he speaks about what is really most, most important to love God and to love your neighbor. Fight injustice, of course. William Wilberforce was moved by his faith when he was, was fighting against slavery. Black Lives Matter, amen to that. MLK, Martin Luther King was a Christian minister, we know that, and he was moved by his faith to fight that injustice. Welcome immigrants. Again, how could I not be uh, in agreement with that? You can read the USCCV states about this subject. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, it says, I was stranger and you welcome me. It's not that I don't know what is behind, or it's not that I don't understand what is behind each one of these sentences. What I'm saying is precisely that, that we could understand each of one of those you know, proclamations in a Christian way. But then right to this science, there was another one, another sign right next to them that said, keep abortion safe and legal. So how can you defend the weak but not the babies? I think that this religion of the world has many Christian elements, but is somehow synthesized in a different way from the gospel. And the key element is that there is no God. So without God, it's a different recipe, a completely different recipe, and it doesn't work. Often I think, how can we build a culture where life is respected and honored from it's conception to natural death. How can we strengthen families and encourage them to have kids, to have hope? 
How can we build a culture that respects every single human being, black or white, Hispanic or Asian, poor or rich? How can we promote a just society where the poor are promoted in a way that we can challenge them to, to give their best and not in a populist way? How can we avoid injustice, addictions, pornography? How can we be a beacon of light, hope and truth for the world as Christians, as a church? And I understand that many of these issues are somehow political. I understand that, of course, so I don't have all the answers. And I understand there's, a, there's, there's room for opinion. There's matters of opinion. We can have as individual person different opinions and different approach on how to solve these problems that are complicated and you know, complex. I understand that. I don't claim that we as a church have the answers. But I do know that it's not without Jesus. It's not without him. It's not without the gospel. It's only around him that we can become better as human beings, individually and socially. So, you know, God spoke. He revealed himself. He came to this world. We believe that, don't we? We believe that he is God made flesh, that he taught with human words, that he walked you know, in our cities and towns and villages in Galilee. We believe that he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. So we cannot ignore this fact, this most important fact that the logos of God was made flesh. How could we be, how could we present, how could we not take into account what God himself spoke to us? So going back to the subject, when we uphold some important values without a revealed God, without a God that challenges us to go beyond what we feel comfortable believing and practicing, we run the risk to become self-righteous because those set of values are somehow a reflection of the culture and also of what I can more or less agree with without being challenged so much. We run the risk of feeling good because we are in agreement with the mainstream culture and because we feel we are living up to those values that we embrace. The true Christian spirit, on the contrary, is always aware of God and his beauty, his holiness, and his mercy. And is also aware of our own sinfulness and shortcomings. The more holy a person becomes, the humbler, the more in touch with her own fragility and weaknesses, the more grateful for the love of God, the humbler for the knowledge of her own sinfulness. In today's gospel, Jesus is teaching these Pharisees why he was mingling with sinners. So we're speaking about who are or who are tempted of self-righteousness today. But who are today's sinners? I think all of us who cannot claim merits of our own. That is the secret of the gospel and the beauty of the gospel. We are all sinners, loved, rescued, embraced, found by Christ, redeemed by Christ every single day. This is so beautiful. As I was in the sacristy, you know, before putting on my chasuble, I put on my, my stole. And the stole is a sign of 
the lost sheep that Christ came to rescue. I am, I am the first one of, of, of this. Just as St. Paul said today in the second reading, I am the foremost, the most in need of mercy. A true Christian could never be self-righteous. We are that lost sheep. We are that hidden coin, saved and forgiven by the cross of Christ. Not by our own merits. We are redeemed sinners every day. And if we are not aware of that, then Jesus cannot find us or save us. Because we don't need him, basically. We're good with our own values. Building our own humanistic world. So let's stay humble. As long as we stay humble, he can come and rescue us every day and cleanse us. We read in Luke's Gospel that the counterpart of the Pharisee was the publican, the tax collector. And Jesus says, but the tax collector stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and prayed, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the latter went home justified, not the former, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As I said, and as a final note, as I said before, many of those values could be claimed as Christian values. Of course. And, and we should, I think. There are so many good people out there that, you know, that somehow are, are, are um, registered in this religion of the world because they want a better world and they don't know better or their own experiences, you know, led them to, to, to embrace that mindset. As, as you know, I work as a chaplain at, 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 at American University and often the students that come to, to our community, to the Catholic community, they said to me, oh, Father, this is a, such a liberal university. And it is. It is a very liberal university. But sometimes I think maybe that is not so bad. Maybe that's not so bad. You know, because it means that there are many students there that care for the poor, that care for, you know, to do something about injustice, that are aware of the sufferings around us, that want to make a difference and study political science and international services and all that because they want to do something for it. So they're not far from the gospel. It's just that they don't have God. And, and if you don't have God, it's... It's like cooking bread without leaven. No, it won't rise. Jesus says, we, you are the leaven, the, the yeast of the world, salt of the earth and light of the world. So if we can be witnesses of God, of the reality of Jesus, of the fullness of the gospel, then we can somehow synthesize those values in a higher and new point, if you, if, if, a new synthesis where those sentences can attain its true and fullest meaning. I was speaking with a girl the other day, one of the students, and she said, oh, Father, I love DC, because DC is full of people that want to change the world. And I never thought about that, but it's probably true. Full of people that, that come to the city, it's a powerful city, 
because they understand that here their, 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 you know, their influence is wider and bigger. And to be honest, maybe that is one of the reasons why we came as well. No? So it's a good city to be a Christian. And it's a good city to mingle with others and to preach the gospel with our words and with our lives, with humility but with conviction.